Coming to you from the studios of 88.9 KETR in Commerce, Texas, this is Notably Texan. I'm your host, Matt Minky, and I'd like to present to you a discussion recently recorded in our studios with a staple in the Texas music scene over the past many decades in groups like Lone Star Trio and 1100 Springs, a band which recently went their separate ways, but that allowed my guest to embark on his solo career. And when I originally aired this feature interview on March 24th, it included all sorts of examples of his music from through the years. But for the purposes of this version, you'll hear just the discussion with our special guest, Matt Hilliard. Well, welcome to Notably Texan, Matt. It is my pleasure to get to know you today, man. Yeah, mine, mine as well. Thank you for making time for me, and been looking forward to it since we set it up. Excellent, man. Well, I've got uh, plenty to talk to you about, about the uh, new Glorietta solo album, but I wanted to kind of get a little bit into your backstory to start. Uh, you're from my hometown of Dallas. Uh, when did music kind of start to beckon to you in your youth? Uh, well, it was in my youth. I started, I put my first band together when I was about 12, uh, my brother played drums, and then uh, another um, singer-songwriter that we went to school with named Meredith Miller. You may remember remember that name. She had a, she had some a, a record that she put out. It was pretty darn good. And she played bass, and it was just a three-piece rockabilly trio. And we started this band to play the talent show okay. at school. And uh, you know, it, it, you know, I didn't really. Th- think it was going to be that much but I didn't I I did want to play you know I didn't I, I knew that I actually wanted to have a band and play shows um, I wouldn't I wouldn't convince that that was going to be the one to, to take me into a professional career or anything right we did win the talent show oh well way, I mean that's good you know <laughs> that's like, a good sign yeah <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah no so I was about 12 or 13 and I would go to uh, I remember going to see Reverend Horton Heat for the first time and it was funny because um, you know I playing rockabilly music in eighty seven, eighty eight, or whatever like that. It was you know it was really just a dead style for a lot of people. It was just kind of out there in the outer space or something, you know. Yeah. Like it, it, to, to, when I told my friends who listened to like White Snake and Def Leppard or <laughs> you know whatever the, the Cure sure. or whatever it was <laughs> that I was, I mean I'm into rockabilly. Uh, they're like, rock a what? Yeah. You know? <laughs> but I went and saw Reverend Horton Heat for the first time because an older friend of mine told me, hey, you should go check this band out. They're really cool. So I did. My dad took me to see them. And I was like, again, I was like 12 or 13. And I had to put together my own sort of rockabilly outfits. And every all my clothes, <laughs> that if I could find anything cool, it was like three sizes too big. So I'd show up just like look, just, just swimming in these outfits. But I look cool. Yeah. You know? And so I walked up to Jim during the set break. And uh, I was like, hey, my name's Matt. I'm Matt the Cat. I call myself Matt the Cat, you know, okay. and I introduced myself. And, you know, what the funny thing was is the next time I saw him was that the Stray Cats got back together. And I went and saw the Stray Cats, and here, there he was hanging out. And I got the nerve once again to go up and say hi to him again. I was like, hey, uh, Jim, I don't, I'm, you know, he's like, yeah, you're Matt the Cat. No. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you made so big of an impression. Made an impression on him because I was this little kid, you know. And it's not something you saw every day, True. you know. But, you know, we became friends and he became one of my sort of musical big brothers, of which I've had plenty of over the years. Because that genre, especially, just, cause it, just because it was something so different, it's like if you spotted another guy that was into rockabilly or whatever, you kind of. 
it's like almost like being in a gang, you know, like it's, you sort of, you know, pull them aside and try and figure it out, you yeah. know, like, um, so we stayed in touch and he, you know, would get, you know, gave me a guitar lesson and, you know, I stayed at his house and stuff. Nice. Uh, and uh, just became friends over the years and he would put me on shows and there was another band called the Wagoneers out of Austin. There was rockabilly, but really more pro- progressive country, kind of like the Mavericks before the Mavericks. And they booked my band on shows with them, and then they had a manager in Austin, and that manager kind of took me on as a little pet project to develop. And so, you know, that's kind of where I got started in playing a lot of gigs. And I would, I would live in Austin in the summertime, and, and, uh, and then we put together a different band. We had... Um, Marsha Ball, stepson on drums, and then um, Alvin Crow's son on bass. So, wow. So we would do a lot of shows with them, you know, the Broken Spoke or Green Hall or the Hole in the Wall, all the sort of Austin haunts we would go and play for not much money and kind of learn how to do it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, that That's what kind of got me started and... I mean, just one thing after the next. Here, wow. here we are, you know. I mean, was there somebody that kind of got you into music while you were growing up before you started making it? I mean, my parents, yeah. I mean, like music has always been very big in my in our family. You know, music and movies we love the most, and um, we can communicate in our own language with that kind of information. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. My brother was really into punk rock music, and he was always just kind of on the edge of stuff. My mother too was also just a really big influence on both of us. But when like the first rock star that I ever thought of was Buddy Holly because when I was about three, that movie, The Buddy Holly Story, came out. And I'd never really seen anybody that identified as a rock star. You know? So I thought he was cool. And somewhere, like one of my parents' friends like left behind a pair of like, horn-rimmed reading glasses. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm serious. I was three years old, and I would put them on, and I would take the shovel for the chimney, <laughs> and I'd stand on the, the chimney step, and I'd put the vacuum cleaner like it was my microphone stand, <laughs> and I would just put on the Buddy Holly record and sing along to it. <laughs> That's awesome. And my mother being cool like she is, she's like, listen, Buddy Holly's really important, just so you know. like He's really, really important. His, his music is really good. His songs are really good, but he wrote his own songs, and he produced his own records, and he's from Texas. So that always kind of, I think that really kind of set the tone as far as like why Texas music was important and who the, you know, sort of moving on from there, who the guys that were from Texas and that kind of music and writing your own songs is be, you know, she, and when I started playing, she was the one that said, Hey, you need to write your own songs because you can sing and you can play, but if you don't have anything to say, who wants to listen? Wow. You know? And, uh, so I started writing as soon as I started playing, you know? Nice. A lot of really terrible songs. Well, that's yeah. how it starts, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you got to start somewhere. You got to be terrible for a while. Yeah, right. You don't ever really stop. <laughs> you I mean, know? In like, a way, I guess that's true. Yeah. I mean, do you still uh, find yourself listening to some of these uh, influential artists that, you know, uh, got you going back in the day? Yeah, I mean, there's always the ones that I go back to, and Buddy Holly's definitely one of them, and that stuff never gets old. Hank Williams, definitely one of them. Um, you know, the Beatles. My mother was the biggest Beatles fan in the world. Um, <laughs> that kind of stuff that you grew up with. You know, my my dad would turn me on to a lot of blues music, too. 
Um, I always go back to that. It's just like a, a, a warm blanket that yeah. you get to go back to. It's, it's it's funny when you go back to certain artists and certain records, and you're just like, man, I've heard this a million times. Why don't I try something new? And then I thought, go, well, I want to listen to this. Yeah, because it's always good. Well, and it makes you feel young too, right. you know, because of those early memories. It takes you back to some other place. You know? Exactly. You know? <laughs> We're talking with Matt Hilliard today on 88.9 KETR. This is notably Texan. Uh, you're, of course, known for uh, giving us 23 years with Texas Favorites, 1100 Springs. Would you be willing to open up a little bit about what brought you guys to the decision to end the long run for 1100 Springs? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it's not uh, – It's there's nothing salacious or uh, controversial about that really at all. I think it's a common thing that happened to a lot of people once the world shut down for a while. Uh, Steve Berg and I put the band together um, – in 98 and it wasn't supposed to be anything in the first place but we we put a a lot of the bands that we were in before that that led to 1100 springs we had been playing in bands together for about six or seven years before that and done a lot of traveling on the road with lone star trio and then this big rock band that we had uh strap was real loud and obnoxious (laughs) and then at the point that we wanted to you know make some extra beer money or walking around money we decided we'd do some shows on mondays or tuesdays or wednesdays playing old country songs because that's how we kind of got started but um but then it was enough fun and people dug it enough so 23 years later after you know traveling and putting out records and just you know working the grind of it all i think that once it you know the world kind of took a step back i think it gave steve a chance to sort of you know just like a lot of people had this chance during that time to reevaluate his position in life and where he wanted to be but anyways i think he took a step at he stepped back and sort of looked at his life and decided he really didn't want to spend the rest of it going traveling around and being in bars and and all of that stuff you know um he wanted to do different stuff and we we explored the idea of of me being able to do it with somebody else on base but i think we both got to the point where uh it just didn't it didn't feel like the right thing to do yeah it didn't feel like the right thing to do because you know it, i didn't feel like that would be a really cool thing for after all the his efforts and putting the whole thing together and keeping it going all those years just to say oh we can just get anybody to stand up there and that's not the truth you know that's not the case this is our deal we started it together we should we should put it to bed together and the truth be told i didn't want to do it anymore i mean i love it i I miss it a lot but i did i i've been having so much fun playing like these acoustic singer songwriter type rooms where you just strip everything down and you get to the the bare bones of just your songs and you can play whatever's on your mind and the idea of like trying to keep country music alive and having a country dance band is something that taking a break from that appealed to me as well i guess and i do miss it you know of, of looks, course so like if people listen to what i'm saying and saying what do you mean man <laughs> it's like well you know it's, it, it, we, it was a good run 23 years is a good run it's trying to do, try, you know try something different that being said if 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 we decided we wanted to do a reunion show at any point in time I'm on board. Okay. I don't know how the guys feel about it. We haven't gotcha. talked about it, but I, you know, like I, I do love it. I do miss it. I celebrate all aspects of of all the cool stuff that I've been able to do. Are you guys still in touch? I I trust. I talked to Steve on the way over here. I, I was hanging out with Chad, our guitar player, just a couple of days ago, 
and Jordan and I always stay in touch. Yeah, I stay in touch with all those guys. There's, okay. So there's no, you know, there's no ill will. I think we had a lot of people run in and out of the lineup over the years, and not all. It hasn't all been roses. Uh, there's some, you know, there's some of those relationships that are restrained for, you know. Well, what I feel there are obvious reasons. It doesn't make it, the being in a band is stupid. Let's just go ahead and say that it's a really stupid thing to do because, like, you you get this idea that somehow music is going to be able to be the thing, this glue that holds four or five different people from completely different walks of lives and beliefs and all of this stuff together. You you put you put all these people into a small quarters. Yeah. But take them all over the place for not much money. Right. For an extended period of time. <laughs> And expect everything to work out, man. It I, doesn't, you know. It, it it sometimes it does. A lot of most of the time, it has. For for I'm I'm friendly with ninety percent of the people that have that I've been fortunate <laughs> enough to play with. Nice. Well, there. And you if go. they're out there listening right now and they want to work it out, let's work it out. I, I, I don't, you know. I'm, I'm just grateful. Now, I know that uh, you and uh, 1100 Springs kind of used to describe yourselves as uh, as long-haired, tattooed, hippie freaks. Now, uh, you've still got, at least there was a song anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've still got some striking tattoos, which I can see peeking out a little sure. bit under under your sleeves there. Those are lost on the radio audience right now. And But your hair's a lot shorter these days. Are, are you like me, where you kind of uh, still feel like a younger version of yourself? Do you still feel like that uh, wild, ponytailed, hippie freak that you well, were growing up? Yeah, I mean, you know, we never really grow up right in our minds you know that's the weirdest yeah, thing you know? I know and i i i was thought about growing my hair back out but i gotta tell you it does not grow like it used to grow <laughs> you know um you know when that song was was written it, it was early on in the band and we had just really kind of started we started just playing mainly monday nights at eight air saloon in dallas and and uh it turned into kind of a freak freaky scene because at first we were terrible, and we we set up, and there weren't anybody there except like the bar regulars, and they didn't like us. We oh. weren't very good, you know. Okay. Like so, like they would just sit there at the, on the bar stool and listen to us fumble through songs that we knew, but we hadn't. We never rehearsed or anything. But it became a thing on Mondays. We knew a lot of people in Dallas and Deep Ellum in the service industry, so Monday night was like their Saturday night. And so they would show up and you'd have all these punk rockers and, you know, people with multicolored hair and piercings and stuff like yeah. that. And, um, and then the bar regulars hated that, right? So they didn't like that at all. But it, it just became a scene. Then, you know, cowboys and college kids and everybody started getting together. And that's kind of where the vibe of the song came from. But then when we started getting out of eight years and playing at other places... Um, I remember we were playing, we did a lot of shows with Pat Green back then, um, and they were always really cool to us. But that crowd was definitely just this college crowd, and those kids hadn't even put on their cowboy hats yet. They still just were wearing baseball caps <laughs> yeah. and, you know, red wings. And, you know, like, it, so when we would get up on stage to load up our amps and stuff, like now most of the guys in bands look like we did back then. But did it was not that way. Right. You know, not for <laughs> Texas country music, not at all. So people really kind of looked at us weird, so we would always open with Bob Wills' San Antonio Rose. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, we called it uh, Throwing Meat to the Lions. Okay, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Because they would look at us weird and they wouldn't know what to think, and then we'd start playing Bob Wills, and I'm like, ah, these guys are okay. Yeah. <laughs> but then on the way home from that gig, uh, I was like, man, what if we had a song that just said what we're trying to say? 
it was one of our own songs, and we could just go ahead and address that issue. So we would just get it out of the way right at the top of the show. And so, I mean, it kind of got written on the dashboard. You yeah. Know, I don't have any, I don't, you know, like I don't have long hair anymore, but uh, I still feel like it. I embrace my inner freak. Okay. You know. <laughs> so for anybody that was worried that you have the shorter hair now, I mean, you're still the same guy. That we change as we as we get older too. You know, I'm just I just haven't cut my ponytail off because I'm I'm afraid I can never get it back. You know. It's well, like, that's, a, that's a that's a very valid point, man. Because <laughs> I mean, like we were leading up to the very end of 1100 Springs, we had all these what we called a you know farewell tour. We had booked all these shows and stuff, and uh, I thought, you know what, man, I'm not going to cut my hair until after the last show and uh you know thinking okay we got time it's gonna by the end of it it's gonna be you know fairly it just not grow like it used to grow <laughs> and it doesn't act like it used to either no no it doesn't. You know, the gray does not respond the same way that it used to <laughs> matt hillier is my guest here on 88.9 ketr i understand that you found some inspiration to write some of the songs on the new album after you joined a, a songwriting group tell me about that yeah uh, i mean these things it, it's the there's there's been bunches of them over the years and i've been this is not the first songwriting group that I've been part of, but this one I've been in for like um, over, well, over two years now. So that's a lot of songs. You write a song every week, they give you a prompt, and um, there's 10 of us. We keep it at 10, and you okay. have to write a song every week and turn it in by a certain time with lyrics and a basic demo, or you're out. And um, so a lot of people come in and out, of, a lot of really, really good songwriters come in and out of that group. Yeah, it came at the perfect time because I I know I remember saying once we were stuck in our houses, just saying to myself or, or my wife, I don't know, just saying, man, if I don't come out of the other side with a whole bunch of songs, what am I even doing? You know, <laughs> right. like, what am I even doing? You know, songwriters just love to pat themselves on the back about writing songs, you know. To wax fantastic about it, um, but if you don't, you know, if you got all that time and no excuse, you know, you can always sort of just go, man, I got to lock myself in a cabin somewhere. If you if you got all these gigs and stuff that you're doing, yeah, it's understandable. You got to go take a writer's retreat, you know. But um, but if you're just sitting at home and with nothing to do, and you don't start writing, what are you doing, man? Like, I, I get it, you know. Uh, so. But it worked out. It came at the right time. It's It's been really cool, you know. When I talk to some of my songwriter friends about it and try to get them in on it, they're like, I don't know if I could do a song a week. It's like, well, you can. You know you can. Like, it's... You, you just... Just do it. Just commit to doing it. That's the discipline. In some ways, it takes the pressure off. Because, I mean, as long as you can sort of tell yourself, look, you don't have to write your magnum opus, man. Like, you, you, like you need to write a song and turn it in. You can edit it for the rest of your life if you yeah. want to, you know. But, I mean, as a result, I'm sitting on the most amount of unrecorded material that I've ever had in my life, you know. And I always walk away from it every week kind of going, eh, I don't know. But then I usually, if I go back and revisit it like a month later, it's like, it's not as bad as I thought it was. It's usually it's not as bad. It's inevitable. If you do something, it's like working out or something. If you if you work that, those muscles on a regular basis, you're going to get stronger. And you're going to get better at it. 
and if you don't, just step away from it for a little while. I don't know. And sometimes it's kind of crazy lines or something. These prompts are, are kind of off the wall sometimes, are they? Last not? week's was weird, and I'm now, and I've been in it long enough. I, I, I guess I'm the OG at this point because okay. enough people have fallen out. But last week, Ben Donaher picked the prompt, and he picked sandpaper. And I was like, what? <laughs> really, man? Come on. Sandpaper? What do you want me to do with that? But the truth is, it wound up being cool because you know, like it forces you to to think of something else, you know. It's always fascinating to get into to y'all's heads and find out, you know, how how you tick on this. Well, stuff. Well, I were out, wound up writing a song about a car, just like this car, you know, restoring a car, you know, like wet sanding it until the finish looked like glass, okay. and you know, sanding the primer and all that stuff. And I, you know, my mind went a few different directions, but yeah, and I mean, that's, that's, it's kind of cool to have that. And you know, never, never, you never know where it's going to go. So the title track from your new record is called uh, Glorietta. Can you tell me a little bit about that song? Yeah, it's about getting out of Dallas. It really is based on getting out of Dallas during, during the pandemic. And, it, you know, it's not a song about my youngest daughter, but I, I really was inspired by a trip that we took together because, uh, you know, you feel the worst for the kids at that time just and especially because she was like 10 or you know 11 i i'm not good at numbers or time i'm not into time man uh no but uh but yeah she it hit right at spring break and she was really looking forward to getting out and doing any number of things for spring break and trying to explain to her at the time it's like oh we can't do any of that we there's nothing we can do and uh and so after a couple of months, my mom has this place up in Glorietta in New Mexico, and there's there's really nothing to do out there except go outside and look at the beautiful surroundings and go hiking and spend some time together and get away, and that would at least be something. So um, that's kind of what the song's about. It's just, you know, the frustrations of being stuck in your house and especially being stuck in your house in Dallas, you know. It's like when they're working on a cell t- phone tower outside and you can't go anywhere it's just like i gotta get out of here man i gotta <laughs> I I can't stand it that's where it came from so now i know that uh, glorietta was produced uh, by a talented man who we've had in studio as part of his duo the o's uh john pedigo and uh, he's got a really fun personality did you enjoy working with him yeah and i've known john since um he was still in high school I th- really i think yeah um I mean, he probably hates these stories because it's just like it's just like people when they talk about. I used to go see you when you were twelve years old. It's like, no, you didn't. You really. I mean, all right, what did you see? Lone Star? No, wrong, wrong. So I, you know, I may be getting it wrong a little bit, but I think I'm mostly right because um, our band Lone Star Trio was playing around town, and him and this guy Ward Davis had a band called Slick Fifty Seven, but they were too young to get into the shows. Okay. And uh, we were kind of too. Um, I'm not that much older than he is, um, but I remember them hanging around and then starting to do shows and stuff like that. And so I've known him for a long time, and it's been really cool to watch him, you know, grow and succeed and do cool stuff. And especially with the producing and songwriting and playing, we've always stayed in touch and played shows together and done stuff. So um, it was a little bit of a no-brainer for us to get together and and do something you know because we get along so well and he's he's you know i know he understand he understands my whole entire history of music so 
that I can be confident with. So um, we had a blast. He does, he does great work. I'm, I'm sure that uh, for a lot of fans of 1100 Springs, uh, the band's dissolvement was kind of a downer, but this has really been a new beginning for, for Matt Hillier, the solo act. And I know you had put out a solo release some time ago, but this is this is really kind of a, a bigger, fuller launch for you as as you know, the man out out front, uh, truly. Has there been any, any kind of adjustment needed on your part now that it's your name out front? I mean, I know it's not that different from being in a band. It's mainly getting people used to the idea, making the association, because that takes a while, you know, for people to understand, oh, Matt Hillier's the guy from 1100 Springs. Like, But the thing is, is when I did it the first time, it was difficult just because I hadn't really dove into... Uh, acoustic singer-songwriter shows that much back then. So when I released If These Old Bones Could Talk, number one, 1100 Springs hadn't broken up. We took a step back, and we weren't playing as much many shows, but uh, we hadn't really broken up. So anytime I'd go to book a show for myself, like with a band or whatever, and I would say, hey, would you guys want to book my solo band? And people would be like, uh, yeah, yeah, we would. But what about 1100 Springs? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, yeah, that's how, I mean, we can talk about that. You know, like, I'm, I'm not against it. I love 1100 Springs. But it's it was never really, you're right, it was never really given a chance to have a full sort of launch. But in the in the interim, like, between that record and then this record, that whole time I've been playing these singer-songwriter things and, and really gone and done years and years of, of shows by myself without the band. So now it's a little different in the sense that people are used to seeing some of those shows. And then the the adjustment now is just like figuring out how many how many band shows I want to do at all. Uh, versus just doing the acoustic singer-songwriter thing. When I start to think about the logistics of, of having a band, I'm, I'm perfectly happy. <laughs> okay. I'm perfectly happy doing acoustic shows, man. <laughs> you know, I love the guys, man, but it's 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 nice to just put your acoustic guitar in your case and right. <laughs> open up your hatchback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot easier to, to load in and load out, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, you have uh, you know been on the front lines of the the changes in the music business over the past couple of decades. Um, so, how have you been kind of rolling with these changes? You know, everything going to streaming now, uh, much fewer physical album sales, and all this. I mean, it's we're kind of in a different uh, world than we were you know ten twenty years ago, aren't we? Yeah, and you know, I got to tell you, I didn't really, I still don't understand it completely uh but yeah you watch the bottom fall out because if you talk about the way things have changed for uh for for me the first album that uh we made i was in high school and we it, we paid to make our own cd and that was a big deal yeah. back in high, when i was in high school it's like if you had a c it's like hey you got a cd it's like <laughs> right. yeah man you know, all you have to do is record it and then send it to some place who makes those things, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's really it's as simple as you can make it. But it was a big deal because most people, if you had any kind of CD, so you had to have some sort of label and stuff like that. So we were kind of early on the DIY side of things. But you could sell them and people would buy them. And they, were, they put a value at least on the, on the music and the physical copies and things like that. So you could sort of make a little more gas money and get down the road a piece to, to make things happen. And then, you know, we watched Napster and LimeWire show up and they just took it from us. They just took it. 
and we didn't even understand it. Like we didn't, I, I didn't have any idea what it was. Like, because uh, uh, we're out there doing the hard work, and you don't like you. I think a lot of people at our level were listening to Metallica complain about all that stuff and yeah. just kind of going, "Oh, please, right. please." Well, you, well, you're not going to make a bazillion dollars. You're just going to make a billion dollars. That's how the mentality that we would have about it. Because for us, I mean, if the music's getting out there, then that's a good thing. But, you know, it, um, then it's, you start to see it happen. Like, you start to see it happen. And the weird thing is, by the time it really, those wheels really started rolling, we didn't feel it as much as a lot of bands like rock bands were feeling it. Because, I hate to say, don't take this the wrong way, country music fans, but you're a little bit behind the curve with the technology sometimes. <laughs> you know, so, so there were still people buying CDs and country music and we were still selling them and um your fans are going to buy your stuff no matter what they still buy it today but it is disheartening and you know i don't want to be one of these guys that typically you know it's just so typical and cliche to complain about the pay structure of the whole thing because uh you know young cats now they that they don't know anything else and they have to figure out how to make it work and there's a way you can work these things if you understand it a little bit better where there are a lot of really cool things about it what's not cool is i don't think they pay us enough i don't think the royalty rate is is uh fair because they made a lot of backdoor deals with record labels and publishing houses and things like that and those people got their money and what their argument is it's like okay well at least the money's going in the right direction supposedly you know compared to like people just pirating your stuff on YouTube which they still do but come on guys come on we can do better than that the weirdest thing to me about it is when you when you when you say all that stuff the weirdest thing to me about it now and I love this but I still I'm very skeptical and don't all the way understand it is that vinyl records are selling more copies now than anything else. I just saw that, yeah. You know? <laughs> and now I know I own every single record I ever bought, and I've never not had a record player. I'm not one of these people that went away from it ever. I invested a lot of money in yeah, those exactly. records, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, like, I get it. I love it. I, it's, it was a childhood dream to make a, a recording and put it out on vinyl and sell it to people and have them dig it. That's a lifelong dream now it's coming true but i still just i'm very skeptical about like uh how long that can last because in a world we were talking a little bit about it before we started turned on the mics or whatever but in a world where information has almost zero dollar value to people and i'm not just talking about music i'm talking about all information Nobody wants to pay for anything. No. <laughs> you know, think about it this way. Well, we watched we watched a movie Cocaine Bear last night at my house, right? Yeah. And it's still in theaters and I really wanted to see this movie. <laughs> and my mom is there and we're watching and uh you know, now you can watch these movies that are still in the theaters, but the price is higher, you know, it's like it's like rent for 20 bucks. Yes. And I mean, how many times do I have I looked at that the rent for $20 and gone, I'm not paying $20 for that. And the reality is that if we went and saw it in the theater, we're not getting oh, out of absolutely. there without spending 120 bucks. <laughs> this is way better. We could drink our own food. 
or we, we can drink our own food. That's how I roll. <laughs> That's, this is a guy with a lot of years on the road. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we can drink our meals, folks. That's how we do it. Uh, with cast iron livers. But no, I mean, it's just it's just weird that uh, that people are willing to pay, and I'm glad for it because I love it, uh, pay $30 for a record. And I'm curious as to how often they actually take it out of the sleeve right. and drop the needle to listen to it. Because I still believe that most people, even if they buy the record, you know, when they're cruising around in their car, no, <laughs> they, they, you know, they're pl- putting on Pandora, Spotify, or whatever right. else. Right. It's just very bizarre to me. So you talk about the way things have changed. It's really weird. And it makes me feel pretty old a lot of the times. Yeah, I but I am I am glad that they come back to vinyl records. I know, I know. That's I know exciting for a lot of vinyl fans that they're it's, just cooler. Yeah, it they is. They feel better, they sound better to me. Like uh they just they look better, the liner notes are cooler, the artwork is they feel, you know, it's just it's cooler as far as I'm concerned. I hope it sticks. And the truth is there are people still buying still buying cds yeah it's true it's not true. as much right but, you know that's like, the problem you, you can't know, you can't sell a ton of them people it's... still want to shake your hand though and they still want to talk to you about it and they still want to talk to you and hang out with you at the merchandise booth which um that to me is worth more than than selling a record you know nice. that's 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 what it's all about you know we didn't actually get a, a physical copy of the new album, but we did get a, a, a download version. And I'm I know like, a guy, though. Uh, do you? Okay. I know, I right. know a guy well, who has one in his car. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll talk Not about it Not far from here. <laughs> uh, there is a uh, standout cut on the new Glorietta record that I'd like to play. Uh, tell me about Diablo Motel, because it sounds kind of different than a lot of your other songs. Yeah, well, it is. Um, it's a... It's a song that came from that songwriting group, and the prompt that week was Diablo. Okay. And uh, I I really didn't know what to do with it. And just, I thought, you know, obviously Diablo means devil, and I thought just these sort of sort of spooky kind of ideas about it. And, um, and then I thought of a, just a strange scenario where a guy wakes up from a trance, right? And uh, he's, he finds himself in a place and he's disoriented completely and doesn't know what's going on. And uh, from the minute he sort of wakes up, he can tell that something's just not right. Can't quite put his finger on what it is exactly, but every little thing is kind of wrong. And it just keeps getting more wrong. And he's in this hotel room and he's all dressed up like he's going to go out, but he can't, he knows, he knows he can't go anywhere. You know, he's super thirsty. There's nothing in the bottle. And it's just, the room starts getting more spooky and weird and just wrong and uncomfortable in all kinds of ways. As it goes, you you know, you start to realize that, you know, he starts to see demons and the paintings and all this stuff. He's getting really hot and he can't turn on the faucets and all of this stuff. And it just, I thought, you know, what if this guy is stuck in either hell or purgatory at this hotel room and he's, he's finally realizes and he's trying to get out the door and then he looks around, there is no door, you know, like it's like, you're just stuck at this, in this spot. And it was weird because I don't, I'm not a big story song writer, you know, I typically write songs about my feelings, <laughs> very important. Um, but I just, I don't know. It was fun. It was one of those ones where it's just, and then I thought maybe I, another thing is, as I was hanging out with some friends, one of these late night sort of guitar pulls and I played a few songs and I'm like, do you have any songs in a minor key? Cause all you, all these 
happy Bakersfield sounding songs, man. <laughs> you know, it's like, can't you do anything a little bit more blue, or is it all zippity doo dah? <laughs> so I, I wanted to write something that was in a minor key. So the two of those, the two of those ideas coming together and sort of trying to embrace some of the jazz chords I might have learned uh, over the years kind of came out something different, was, you know. I wasn't going to put it on the record because it's kind of weird in comparison, but that's why I wanted to, actually, you know. Now, uh, we've been serving Northeast Texas as a public radio service here for more than four decades. I was hoping that while I had you here, you might be willing to to talk a little bit about why listener-supported radio is important to people who listen and to you as a recording artist. Uh, well, because I, I'm a firm believer in it, and a, <clears throat> I've all, my family's grown up supporting listener-supported radio because... Uh, I think that people who do your job um, for these stations have, a, I don't know, they got more of a, a heart about it because it, it matters to them enough to to be here. Whether it's community radio or this, um, it's it just it, it matters. It takes a lot of the the business end out of it, which is tends to be what, in my opinion, sours a lot of the really pure good stuff in the world you know when you're trying to sell ads all the time then you know you 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 got to sell ads that's the it's got more heart and soul to me you know what i mean it seems it seems uh less biased towards any one thing in particular it's more for the people you know i believe in that People are really accustomed to not being asked to give to other radio stations who who maybe don't really think about the difference between you know uh, non commercial and commercial stations because they fund their broadcasts with ads and with commercials. But uh, you know why do you think that uh, something like KTR is worth actually supporting by people? I mean, you went into this a bit, but I mean, what would you say to somebody who listens but they've never given? Um, I would say dig deep. I mean, I grew up on uh, I, I I grew up on Burton. I was raised by Burton Ernie, you yeah. know. So like, <laughs> I mean, and it's it's just I think it's just super important because it's one of the I don't know. It's, to me, it's one of the truly if I can get lofty with it, one of the truly sort of American things that we we can have. And if we didn't if we didn't have the option for you know a place like this, you know, a radio station like this. Um, or any affiliates that are that are doing, you know, that then you would really miss it, man. You'd really miss it. I I, I mean, I get right back to it. I just I I just think that um, you know, listener based radio, it's for the listener. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it services a voice that are you know services a, a, a listener that that it really is discerning about stuff it's not these decisions especially as a musician if you think about the business and the way that it goes a lot of these decisions for the kind of stuff that they all play and which trickles down to the kind of stuff that we will write or make or produce are made by people that we've never even seen that had they don't know anything about music and they don't know anything about uh, how people feel about about it they make these decisions based on what kind of ad revenue it'll generate and that's not that's not for everyone as much as they think it it is there's there's a whole group of people who don't want to deal with that kind of stuff does that make any sense i'm kind of all I, over the no, place no it you does know? man i i'm really always happy to hear uh, you know 
our guests' testimonials on this because I can talk about it all day, but I right. think maybe to to our audience, uh, it it means a little bit more when it's explained by somebody that they respect, like you. So you yeah, know. <laughs> well, I hope they. Oh, that's, that's debatable, but like, uh, <laughs> but I, let me give you one more example on this, and I'll try to make it quick. But back in the day when Blockbuster Video was such a huge deal, right? And every Friday night, going to Blockbuster. Yes. To get a, you know, <laughs> and it, got, it was really cool at first. And then it got to the point where it was only a certain type of movie. And they changed their parameters for what it would take to, make, uh, to, to be accepted, to be rented out at Blockbuster. And if you don't think that that made a difference to the kind of movies that were made in that period of time, you're wrong. You know, like they they just started tailor making the art for that. And if you can take that element out out of out of it and the listeners can go ahead and support what they what they want to hear, I think it's better. I sure appreciate you opening up about that, Matt. So if somebody wants to seek you out and kind of find out more, where can they find you online? It's really, really complicated. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's really super easy. You can go to matthillier.com. And let me go ahead and spell my last name for you because it messes people up sometimes. Uh, so it's M-A-T-T. That's my first name. M-A-T-T-H-I-L-L-Y-E-R.com. And you don't even need the www anymore. Wow. Did you know that? They Congra- dropped all that. Congratulations. I'm telling man. you, man. <laughs> what will they does, how will they streamline the life life hacks 101? <laughs> And uh, I'm pretty sure you're on socials out there too. People can look sure. you up. Sure, yeah. If you go to my website, there's links to my socials. Okay. But I'm on uh, I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, uh, and I even have a TikTok that I don't really post on very much. Gotcha. I'm addicted to looking at it. It's uh, it's it is it is like electronic crack. I don't know. I can't I can't seem to put it down. It's. I mean, I made fun of it for so long. I need to talk to my my 14-year-old about how to do all that. Because I just sit there and scroll through stupid stuff. And then it's like, you know, you're supposed to put stuff on there yourself, right. dude. You know? Well, don't, try, don't bother trying to log on here because it's a state institution, so they've so blocked not gonna, it here. Yeah, you can't even, you can't even you bring it up. I'm ashamed that I haven't had you in studio before through all the years that you've been a big part of Texas music. Yeah. But this has been a real treat for us here. Thanks for well, coming Well, the treat by. is mine. It's been great talking to you and good conversation and just to really appreciate the support and the time yeah i hope you'll come back by sometime i i will be back here every day <laughs> okay well all right we'll we'll give you a key okay, okay good deal A massive thanks again to Matt Hillier for devoting so much time and giving us all those insights during this interview, which originally aired March 24th on 88.9 KETR. And notably, Texan is on the air weekdays from 11 to 2, streaming at KETR.org and on air across Northeast Texas at 88.9 FM. And it's the sort of thing that listener donations make possible. Please support by clicking donate at KETR.org. And thanks for listening.